0: Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Misery Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Monday, March 15th, we are studying Mark chapter 12, verses 28 through 37. Jesus faces another question, this time from one of the scribes, concerning the most important commandment. Then he turns with a question of his own, asking how the Son of David is also the Lord of David. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor David Appled. Pastor Appled serves at St. Paul's Lutheran Church in Paducah, Kentucky. Pastor Appled, welcome back to Sharp Iron.
1: Good to be on with you, Tim. Looking forward to our conversation today.
0: As we get started this morning, let's talk context. We're in Mark chapter 12. This is Holy Week. Uh, What do we need to know about this text going in?
1: Yeah, I think um, if your listeners listened in yesterday, they'll know right what the context is. But if you're tuning in and you haven't uh, been following along, um, we are in probably, it's either Monday or Tuesday of Holy Week. I would think it's it's probably more likely Tuesday of Holy Week. And um, Jesus has received a number of questions um, from different Kind of groups of people. If you think back on um, Christ's ministry, um, of course, the Pharisees come to mind as a, a group that he's often opposed by. Um, but you have mention of some other of the groups, the divisions within Judaism at that time. So um, he's already been questioned by um, some of the disciples of the Pharisees and by the Herodians, who were the um, What's the right word? The sycophants or the, the disciples of King Herod, the kind of hangers-on of King Herod. Then there was a question put to him by some of the disciples of the Sadducees, um, and that was about the resurrection. And now he's going to get a question from, and, and this one, in, in the Gospel of Matthew, the question seemed to be building in antagonism and building in intensity um, but here in Mark, you kind of get this this sense that um, maybe what was an antagonistic question put to him that we're going to discuss in a minute turns out to be um, Jesus's answer or something about Jesus kind of overwhelms that antagonism and actually brings the guy, the Pharisee, who asked the question close to Jesus. Um, and then Jesus is going to respond. This is what's so great about seeing the context, I think you get all these questions put to Jesus and then Jesus asks one question and with his one question he silences everybody.
0: Yeah, there's there's definitely been a growing antagonism. I think there's a building of the the situation, the intensity of what's happening to Jesus each time someone comes. And it is it is it'll be interesting I think to explore this a little bit today how maybe Mark I don't know, puts his own twist on it perhaps such that it's not the antagonism that grows as much as it is, at least what I, what I see is there's some, there's a lot more directness to what Jesus had to say, say to the Sadducees in the previous text, what he's going to say in this text. And then it's all leading up to, and I don't know that he's as direct as he could be, I guess, in what we're going to look at, but it's all leading up to that central question of who he is, which is the question he's ultimately going to be putting to his opponents at the end of our text today.
1: Yeah, we uh, what we have here are really, I think, if you want to have the the big picture, what unites these two questions? I think there is a, a similarity between the two questions. It's how do you understand God's word? What's it all about? Um, so the question that's put to Jesus is, "What's the greatest commandment?" And Jesus is going to give an answer that's really, um, in some ways, not all that shocking about what God's law what the revelation of the Old Testament was always all about. And then he's going to ask, well, how do you understand the Old Testament? Is it, who is the Christ? And that's really the, you know, think of Jesus's words in um, in John 5. He says, um, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you will have life, but they testify about me. And so we want to read the Bible as um, a book that is united in its witness to uh, to Jesus, and I think in our discussion we'll be able to see how that comes out both in terms of the law and um, you know the gospel promises too.
0: That really fits well with what we talked about in the previous text, where the Sadducees are the ones that come to Jesus, and he he brings that out in his response to them. He says, you know, you're wrong because you don't know the scriptures or the power of God. And Jesus yeah. takes them back to that verse in Exodus chapter three that set where the Lord says from the bush, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. And, and as we talked about that in the last episode, you know, we said it's it's not simply a proof text, but it really is a a way of looking at the scriptures that the scriptures are not simply a rule book as the Sadducees might've looked at them, but the scriptures are there to reveal to us who God is or to put it the way John says, you know, these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of living God, and by believing have life in his name. So that kind of focus for this text, I think pairs up very nicely what we said previously.
1: Yeah. The, um, the The questions that Jesus has received, I, there's there's sometimes like you know you hear debates and sometimes you you might be involved in the debate you might in the debate you might be interested in the debate um, but a lot of times debates um, I don't know they can be sort of inside baseball you know what I mean by that Tim it's what does this really have to do with me but and so maybe it's worth just pointing out when we're talking about how to understand. Bible how to understand Scripture um, what we're really talking about is knowing God and that is of that's importance for anyone whether you're a scribe or a Pharisee or a Sadducee or um, a carpenter or a you know you sit at a desk all day or you're you um, you know you're out on a construction crew the the ultimate question of life is who is God um, what does he have to do with me who am I in in Um, you know, in his presence. And so these things are really um, their ultimate kind of questions and they're not just inside baseball.
0: Right. So that even though, you know, we, and we could talk about what these various groups within first century Judaism believed and emphasized Pharisees, Herodians, Sadducees, scribes, these conversations, these questions and answers, and especially as Jesus gets to what we'll look at at the end, this is, you know, who is the Christ? These are questions that are for all people that these are things that especially who is the Christ? What do you say about Jesus? That's really been the central question for Mark all along. And he's, he's driving us, you know, to the answer that's going to be given when Jesus on the cross, that Jesus is the son of God right there when he's crucified for the sins of the world. So let's read in Mark chapter 12, beginning at verse 28. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another And seeing that he answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one, And there is no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. And as Jesus taught in the temple, he said, how can the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? David himself in the Holy Spirit declared, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord. So how is he his son? And the great throng heard him gladly. That is our text for today, Mark 12, verses 28 through 37. Pastor Appled, as you said in the context, Jesus has been facing one question after another this text begins with a question that Jesus is asked, but at least as Mark recounts it, is this guy coming to Jesus with some sort of ill intent? Is I mean, if I can say it this way, is he a bad guy or a good guy coming to Jesus?
1: <laughs> yeah, that's always an important question to ask when you're looking at the, the questions that Jesus um, gets tested with, right? And when you look back in chapter 12, I think it's quite clear that, um, for instance, the Sadducees came to him and they don't come with, you know, they're, they don't actually want to know the answer. They're trying to make the resurrection and therefore Jesus um, look absurd. And even the Pharisees and the Herodians, when they ask their question about paying taxes, they're not really interested in in, in actual conversation with Jesus. Again, they're trying to make him, they're trying to trip him up. They're trying to somehow, some way, take his words and um, you know, use them against him. So Jesus often, with, you know, he perceives these things. He knows who's asking a real question and who's um, just trying to, you know, I don't know, get the get the better of him. And um, here, you're right. In Mark, there's no mention of whether the man is asking sincerely or if he is again trying to trip Jesus up. Um, in Matthew, I know that it does say that he was putting Jesus to the test. Um, and Jesus' response here in Mark and in Matthew, it's the same. Um, so Matthew gives you a little bit of the, the motive within the man, and in Mark, it's just kind of put out there. This And, and I mean, this is so true, isn't it, Tim? They're the same question. Um, some people can ask a question with ill motives, with bad motives, but it doesn't change the question. Um, and Mark seems to want to focus us in on, Look, regardless of whether this guy was asking to make Jesus look bad or was trying to trap him, this is a legitimate question, and it's you know it's a good one to ask. It's a good one to consider.
0: And Mark does tell us that the this particular scribe he had been listening in on these conversations that Jesus is having, and says that you know he saw the scribe saw that Jesus answered them well. So it it seems that perhaps there's at least. I don't know, it's not that it's not purely out of enmity at least, or Marx doesn't want us to focus, as you said, he doesn't want us to focus on the enmity. And I wonder, just given what Jesus is going to say about the scribes after this, you know, he's gonna talk about beware of the scribes. If there's not a, an element here where there are some scribes, you know, we know Joseph of Arimathea, Nicodemus, some of those members of the Sanhedrin that aren't fully against Jesus and some of them even throw their support. Yeah. And so I wonder if maybe there's just a bit of, ambiguity with this guy as well.
1: Yeah. In the book of Acts, I know that there's mention of some of the, the priests and uh, some of the Pharisees converting um, to Christianity. So um, sometimes you get locked in this idea that once a Pharisee, always a Pharisee, right? And once an opponent of Jesus, always an opponent. Um, but Jesus is able, and think about the apostle Paul, of course, is the, um, you know, the, the prime, um, instance of this where even his enemies can be um, converted to him and so maybe that's part of what's going on here in mark too mm.
0: so uh, the question then which commandment is the most important of all if there is a bit of a, a test you know just to, to dwell on that a little bit with what Matthew gives us if is there a if there is a test or a trap here what might the trap be what what's I mean what's the, what's not innocent about this question I guess?
1: Well, I think that a li- here we're a little bit in the dark as to how and and we have some we have some lights that can help us um, kind of cast a little bit of of light on this but um, presumably there would have been multiple ways Jesus could have answered this right and by answering it, he would have lumped himself in with a certain group. So if he were to respond, just think of some of the possible ways you could answer that question. Um, if he said, um, you know, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. He's, he's in with the Sabbath keepers. If he says, you know, circumcise your sons on the eighth day, okay, he's a circumcision guy. Um, if he focused, whatever commandment he's going to um, zero in on is going to indicate something about what he thinks is fundamental to the Old Testament, and those those two that I just mentioned, those were often the um, the ones that were brought out the the keeping of the Sabbath, the circumcision requirements, the um, the the food laws, the purity laws. Those were often the sort of the um, the commandments that that really served to separate the Jews from the Gentiles, the Jews from the Romans, and so those were the ones I think that that rabbis would focus on and say, "Look, if you're going to if you're going to be a faithful Jew, you've got to keep the Sabbath, and you've got to do it in just the right way." And you can think of some of the other debates that Jesus had. You know, why do your disciples pick grain on the Sabbath? Why um, are you doing these healings on the Sabbath? You can see that for them. Any kind of violation of the Sabbath was, um, you know, that was you're you're rejecting the whole thing, um, and you're you're in league with you know the Romans with the Gentiles.
0: So even if this scribe doesn't have any sort of ill intention himself, then Jesus simply by answering a question like this could get on the bad side of one group or another and potentially cause a stir in in one way by answering the question. And as you said, Jesus has had controversy over how to keep certain commandments. Some of them, as, as we've talked about, were more oral traditions and not necessarily the commandments from the old Testament, but he's, he's been in this situation before the question he's asked again is what commandment is the most important of all. And Jesus begins, he says very directly, the most important is, and then he starts quoting, I think this is from Deuteronomy chapter six. He says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And then he he says the second is this. So he's going to link two together, the second being you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There's no other commandment greater than these. Now, I think for us, particularly as Lutherans who learn in the catechism, the first chief part being the Ten Commandments, to see Jesus put these two together isn't terribly surprising. I mean, there's certainly a lot that we can talk about. Is, is there something unique, unusual about the way that he answers this question?
1: I don't, yeah, I don't know that it's unique or unusual. He, like you mentioned, he's quoting the Old Testament in both cases. He's quoting Deuteronomy 6. Um, which is sometimes our listeners might have heard this before. And if not, this is a good thing to know that this is a, a, a key passage in the Old Testament. They call it the Shema, which comes from the, the Hebrew word for hear, pay attention, listen, Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. Um, that's Deuteronomy 6, like you said. Um, the other one where he talks about loving your neighbor as yourself is Leviticus 19. So Jesus is not... Um, saying anything brand new um, and even I think putting those two together um, especially if you look at Deuteronomy 6 that's not um, that unusual the the summer the two tables of the law which we you know which we talk about as the love of God and the love of my neighbor I think that these are fundamental things the the key difference with Jesus is going to be what does that how does he not only say love the lord your god and love your neighbor but how does he show in his own person in his own work in his own life he's going to live that out and it's going to be the the complete total love of god where he's willing to you know to to go to the cross and the love of neighbor that none of us could have uh, but is that atoning the the work of atoning for our sins and loving us even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins.
0: Let, let's talk about each part of his answer in turn, and then and then keep them together because I think that's really important that Jesus puts these together and that we would keep them together as well. He says the most important is, and and it strikes me that he doesn't start with, well, I mean he gives us all of what is verse 29 in Mark's text, he doesn't start with, you shall love the Lord your God. He starts with what is, as you said, the Shema in Deuteronomy. He starts with who the Lord is. Hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And, And given what you were saying earlier about Jesus in these texts, teaching us how to read the scriptures, it seems like it's not an accident that he starts there. Before he says, you shall love God, he tells you who God is. And that's a, I mean, that's a really important thing when it comes to reading the Old Testament and really the New as well, I think.
1: Yeah, even in the—if you look in Exodus 20, there's two places where you have the Ten Commandments, Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy. Um, is it five or six? I think it's six. Um, the, the Lord does not just say, um, you know, you, you must worship God you know, as this kind of nameless, eternal being, although he could, he could say that. Um, the commandments come after God has revealed who he is through um, the work of the Exodus, right? Through the plagues on Egypt, through the deliverance at the Red Sea, through leading them through the wilderness, he's already introduced himself. So they're not to worship a stranger, a god who they they've never known, but it's the Lord who's who's done all these things. His works um, give a revelation of who He is, uh, and to some extent, Jesus is doing that right here. Right, the the one God, the true God, the God of Israel, is the one who is to be um, to be feared and loved and trusted.
0: Mm-hmm. And and even and not to, I don't want to make too big of a point because certainly the love of the Lord your God. And love your neighbor as yourself. This matter of love, uniting these two things is very key. Paul talks about that in the book of Romans. But just with, again, with the way Jesus starts, it starts with hear, with, you know, listen, O Israel. And and how important that is for our, again, what does it mean to look at the scriptures? It's first to listen to them. You know, the, the Bible is not... Uh, to go back to the conversation we had about the, the Sadducees, you know, the Bible's not there as just a list of rules for you to follow. The Bible is there for you to listen and to hear. And through that hearing, come to faith, as Paul says in, in Romans 10, faith comes through hearing. And again, I mean, I, it just seems like if we're going to if we're going to take this as a way to read the scriptures, then that seems really key.
1: Yeah, first listen for who God is, Mm -hmm. right, before. Listen to what he says about himself, how he reveals himself, and then, you know, certainly when he tells you, if he's God and he says, this is what you should do, well, we should listen to him, right? right?
0: That's right. So, so, hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and then, you know, verse 30, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Uh, there's a couple of things I suppose we can talk about it. First, what is that well, what does it mean to love the Lord your God? And what does it mean to do with all those four parts the heart, soul, mind, strength?
1: Yeah, those the so in Deuteronomy six, I think only three of those are mentioned. So Jesus adds in a fourth one, but I I don't make too much out of that. I know that you you could certainly say, Well, see, he's adding in Um, Whether it's all your, I think it's the mind is what Jesus adds in there. I don't see that as a dip. That's not, um, it's not something that isn't already in the Deuteronomy text, right? These are just the different dimensions of your person. So your body, your mind. Um, Your soul, your strength. Every you're to love God with all that you are and all that you have. It's a total kind of thing. Um, And I think it's worth you. You asked what it means to love. This is, of course, something that I'm sure that you do in your preaching and teaching all the time. Tim is to say, look, the word love has become so stretched. Um, I've I've got a rubber band here in my hands. Actually, (laughs) it's become so stretched that. when you hear me say love, when you hear Jesus say love, we want to make sure we we understand we're not talking about simply a romantic feeling, um, right? But maybe something more along the lines of um, loyalty or allegiance. Um, I think obedience is really part of it here, um, that when I love someone, the way that I show my love is not just with a feeling that I have, you know, I feel warmly about God. When I hear the name Jesus, I feel something in me. Um, it's not just a thought, but it involves the entirety of, of who we are. Mm,
0: right. I mean, the word love in English can be used in a variety of ways. I, I can say legitimately, I love my truck I can say, I love my wife using the same word in English, but hopefully I yes. mean two different things by that. Okay. <laughs> so, and, and then, you know, I can say, I love God. Well, so yeah, what, what do we mean? Or what does Jesus mean when he says, you shall love God? And I think, I think your words like allegiance, uh, commitment is one that I like to, yeah. to throw in uh, faithfulness obedience is certainly a part of it you know you you can't you can't separate that from it I know we're, we're maybe a little afraid of that word sometimes as Lutheran's but I don't think you can you can get rid of it the a matter of priority all of these things I think are factored in
1: well and I mean if you think of your own sons um, I know you and I talk about our kids every once in a while after we record and the the I mean the language of love the way that they show me that they love me is certainly they give me hugs and they you know, they draw little pictures for me and that's great. But um, when I tell them, clean up your room and they do it, when I tell them, um, set the table and they do it, that is a great, uh, it's not, maybe it's not as um, emotionally moving as when they put their arms around me and tell me they love me. But that is a, uh, an expression of love and it's not an inferior one. Right, it just because it's not that emotional thing doesn't mean it's inferior. The language of love is making a promise and keeping it. Mm-hmm. Think about the marriage vow, right? Um, yes, there's going to be within the marriage vow there's going to be um, there's going to be certainly an emotive, an emotional force to that love between a husband and a wife. But simply the the continued faithfulness and fidelity that is the marriage vow, and that is the form of of marital love,
0: As you were talking about when you give your kids instructions and they do it, there's also an aspect of that love that is very closely tied to the matter of faith. So particularly the example that comes to mind is when I when I tell my kids to do something in a particular way, which maybe isn't the way that they were going to do it. You know, so I say, set the table in this way or load the dishwasher in this way or mow the lawn like this. And then and, and the, when it really becomes apparent is when they do it the opposite and something goes wrong. And, and I said, look, if, if you would have done it the way that I said, I, I said it that way, not because I, I wanted to be mean to you or because I wanted to force you to do it my way, but because I knew that that was better for you. And, and when they do that then, so when they listen and they do what you say, because they know that you're saying it out of love for them, there's an element of faith that's there too, which I think corresponds with what Jesus is saying about love the Lord, your God here.
1: Sure, sure. I trust you, dad, right? Right. I trust that you know, um, you know, you know what you're doing in your commandments, you know what you're doing in your when you give me directions here. And even if I don't know exactly why, well, why does he want me to mow the lawn in a diagonal pattern instead of a, you know, a perpendicular one well okay i'll do it
0: that's right that's right i mean and again with the way we look at it in the, the catechism you know the the verbs fear love and trust i think they and it uses the word love of course but i think that really helps to expound upon what we're talking about here and we're going to keep looking at this on the other side of the break you're listening to sharp iron pastor david Apple. looking at mark chapter 12 take a short break but we'll be right back please stick around Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Monday, March 15th. We're studying Mark chapter 12, verses 28 through 37. We have Pastor David Appled with us. He serves at St. Paul's Lutheran Church in Paducah, Kentucky. Pastor Appled. prior to the break, we were talking about the word love, and we expounded upon what that means scripturally when we are told to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, strength, with all that we are, with all that we have. We are to be committed, devoted, trusting, loving, Fear, love, trust, all those words for God. Jesus then says, the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So take us into this second commandment, what Jesus is saying, and maybe some things he's not saying as well.
1: Well, I think that it's it's worth pointing out that... Um, when Jesus talks about the law of God, um, sometimes we we say this, you know, you want to say, well, what is the law? When when we talk about the law, what are we talking about? It's the, the eternal will of God, right? And that's the biggest, broadest category of the law. And I think it's worth just saying to him that this is the content of God's law, God's eternal will, is that we would love him and that we would love one another. And so the, the love that we have for God is always going to then be expressed not just in what I do for him by obeying him, but that always um, bleeds over or overflows into my love for my neighbor because that is God's will for me right? It's not, if you think of, um, this is just one example of this. If you think of like at the time of the reformation, the, the idea of becoming holier or of, um, living a life of greater love for God was to withdraw from the neighbor. So you become a monk, you become a nun and you spend your days loving God by saying the Psalms and the prayers and observing the hours and things, right? Well, the reformation and part of the value of, um, Luther's recovery of the idea of vocation was God doesn't need your works. God doesn't need anything from you, but he wants you to, um, he wants you to love your neighbor because your neighbor actually needs you. So the love for God and the love for the neighbor are not two different things. And that's how Jesus joins them together here. They are, you know, they fit together they're hand in glove,
0: right? These, these two can't be separated. And I think, and maybe this is not to put get too far ahead of ourselves but to to think that we are loving god when we're not loving our neighbor there's error in that which i think is is what you're describing in terms of the monastic vows and things like that that were a part of the reformation and also to think that we are loving when that when we're loving our neighbor but we're not loving god there's error there you can fall off on on sure. both sides. Uh, the the monastic vows fall off on the side of trying to love God without loving the neighbor. I, I wonder if some of the some of the things that we see in our world today, you know, this you'll hear something like this. Don't just go to church, be the church. I don't know if you've ever heard anything like sure. that. Mm-hmm. And and sure, you know, like be the church. Love your neighbor all all the time. Definitely. But there's no need to pit against that, the love of God that is shown when you attend the divine service and receive his gifts.
1: Yeah, they fit together again, right? And um, I thought you were going to go a little different direction with um, if you love—if you try to love your neighbor without bringing in the love of God, so— a lot of times I think the the word love gets reduced to, like we were talking about before, f- good feelings, right? So I want my neighbor to feel good. I want, the, and by neighbor, I mean another person in my life to feel good. So, um, you know, confronting them with something, saying a hard truth, um, you know, pointing out that they need Jesus, you know, that that would be, that, that might hurt their feelings. And so I'm not going to love them that way. Well, how can you, that that's not the love of neighbor that Jesus is talking about. Right. So those, I think that it's helpful to keep always those two things together. We love God and we love our neighbor the way God would want us to love our neighbor.
0: Um, right. So, that, the, well, just to, I mean, if I can piggyback, cause I, I, yeah, that wasn't the way I went, but that I've, I've had those thoughts before. And I think, you know, that we need to let, we need to let God be the one to define what love is in that case. Yeah, so, perfect. so often we come to the word love and, And we want to fill it with our definition of what we think love is and then use God's commandments according to our definition of love. And that leads to all kinds of silliness like you're talking about. Rather, we need to let God define what it means to love so that so that we then can do that. And sometimes that does mean those moments of of tough love, as you were as you were saying. So, Pastor Appled, with with that, you get this, you know, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So, I mean, that I think that plays into this conversation where we're talking about what it means to love and let God define love. Love your neighbor as yourself doesn't mean love your neighbor in what a way that makes you feel good or something like that. How do we understand yeah. that love your neighbor as yourself?
1: Well, I've, have you ever heard this one, Tim? I, Jesus says I should love my neighbor as myself. So I've got to love myself really well so that I can then love my neighbor really well. So I, you know, I got to go on vacation and, you know, I got to take a couple days off all the time. Um, Jesus is just assuming that you know how to love yourself. And I think that he's right in that. Um, we are pros at loving ourselves. This is one way to think about what original sin is, right? It is this, um, turning in on ourselves so that I only live for myself, to love myself. So Jesus is not giving directions on first take care of yourself, then take care of your neighbor. He's saying, you know how to love yourself. Um, you should love your neighbor as much as you love yourself, right? Um, more than you love yourself. With that same kind of devotion that you have to yourself, it should be turned out toward your neighbor. Um, and this is, I think I said this in the the first um, segment there that we were recording, the the shocking, the, there's nothing totally new in what Jesus is saying. This has always been in the Old Testament. Um, think of some of the things that St. John says in his epistles, you know, a new commandment I give you, not that it's really a new commandment, it's the old commandment, but it's new at the same time. You know, it's like, well, what do you mean, John? Um, what Jesus says in the commandments, the, the thing that's different is that he actually now is going to display it in his own life. So what does the love of God and the love of neighbor look like? Jesus shows you, right? He, he's not saying something that Moses didn't say, but he is able to do something that Moses could never have done um, because he is the perfect lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So in Jesus, we have this, the perfect manifestation of love that is not hindered by any sin that has no shortcoming, both in his obedience to the father, um, as the, the perfect son and also, um, as the one who, um, who loves us, his neighbors, um, even when we could never have deserved it.
0: And, and that love that Jesus has this perfect manifestation, this perfect giving of love that he does is not simply Jesus serving as example, but that is Jesus being savior to us. And and that's the, the new thing that you're talking about.
1: Yeah, he, he, is the, um, he is the redeemer who also then becomes the pattern. Um, think of in First Peter, um, Peter talks about this. This always comes up in the Easter season um, that the good shepherd has laid down this pattern for us to follow in. Um, on Maundy Thursday, we hear this, right, when Jesus washes his disciples' feet, and then he says, love as I have loved you, right? He doesn't just say, love people however you want to love them. He says, love with in the way that I have loved you. Um, not that we can redeem one another, right? I can't be, I don't need to be the Christ. I can't be, and I don't need to. Jesus took care of that by himself. Thank you very much, right? Um, but my love is to follow that same kind of selflessness, that same kind of, um, yeah, just in the same pattern that he had the love for us.
0: So Jesus has laid this out for this scribe that has asked him the question, what's the most important of all? Jesus says, there's these two that go together. Love the Lord, your God with all you are love your neighbor as yourself. The scribe responds positively to Jesus. He says, you're right. You've truly said that he is one. There's no other besides him to love him again with, I'm summarizing here with all that you are to love your neighbor as yourself. It's much more. And he's very specific than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. We, we talked earlier about how Jesus in answering could have put himself in, in one particular camp or another. Here, the scribe particularly contrasts what Jesus has said, that this matter of loving God and loving neighbor is even better than keeping the sacrificial system. So, and, and it sounds like he's responding positively to Jesus. What is the scribe's response? How do we understand it?
1: Yeah, he, I think he, he sounds a lot like Jesus, doesn't he? Um, Jesus often will say things like, I des- he's quoting Hosea, um, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. And I think it's important that we, that we think through that a little bit, Tim. But um, the prophets before Jesus um, have the same kind of, um, I don't know, the same critique of the sacrificial system that it's not, um, complete in and of itself. And the point of the sacrifices was never for it to be a, a kind of um, get out of jail free card or a, a heartless thing that, okay, as long as, the, as long as the sacrifices are going on in the temple, it doesn't really matter what we do because they atone for us. This is one of the, the perverted ways to understand it, um, that the sacrifices take care of our sins. So let's keep sinning. Or you know, it doesn't really matter what we do because we've got the sacrifices and the the scribe and when and Jesus too are able to see that what God desires is for these things to go together. Um, his he's the one who gave the 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 law about all the sacrifices, so it's not like they're unimportant. But when the heart is absent from those things, it becomes. Um, it becomes actually offensive to God as if you were, as if you were buying him off, right? As if you could have um, some kind of blood of an animal that could appease God um, when faith is lacking, when the heart is not there.
0: So when, when Jesus, to go into that quote a little bit more from Hosea, which is mentioned in, in Matthew's gospel, Jesus brings it up. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. It's not that, it's not that God didn't like sacrifices or didn't desire them at all, but what was happening in the people of the days of the prophets is they were offering the sacrifices apart from faith and faith that then was active in love for the neighbor. I mean, you can just pick just about any yeah. prophet and you're going to find this kind of criticism of the people of Israel in there that they're going to and doing all the right stuff on the Sabbath. They're offering the right sacrifices, but then the next day they're abusing their neighbor in a variety of ways. You can find that in just about any, any of the prophets. God says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, which I think is, is really rightly understood. The same thing that Jesus is doing, putting the two things together, putting the love of God together with the love of neighbor.
1: Yeah. Think of what you, the example you gave kind of the modern, criticism of um, don't just go to church, but be the church. Well, those things don't are, are not mutually exclusive. In fact, they're mutually um, reinforcing. When you go to church and you receive the means of grace, these things strengthen us in faith and in love. And then when you go out into the world and exercise your faith and love, it strengthens your um Faith and love all over again. So it's a it's a reinforcing thing and not an exclusive thing. But if it is does get pitted against each other, and this is where the prophets are so helpful, is in recognizing that that often does happen, then you do need to hear somebody say, this is not impressive to God that you, you know, if we're going to stick with that example, it does not impress God that you went to church for an hour on Sunday morning if you don't believe any of it. Is that somehow, you know, a credit to you? Like, oh, wow, you gave up your Sunday morning, you sat through the sermon, you listened to Pastor Apple, but you, you know, if there's no faith, those things are not, they're of no value. Um, even the, the use of the sacraments apart from, from faith is, is of no, no positive value.
0: Right. Yeah. So, I mean, to, to use the sacraments to sit in church apart from faith, that great. What, what have you done? That's so wonderful. You're going to, you're going to put that work in front of God as some kind of righteousness on your own. There's a word of law for that. On on the other side, I suppose, and I'm thinking, I guess in the prophets would be the, the thought. And and I guess the way it gets expressed today is, you know, all, all people are basically good, even if there's not, they're not Christian, you know, they, they're doing good things the prophets have quite a bit to say about idolatry and the worship of false gods and the wrong faith. And, and I think that's kind of the opposite, the, the other side of that coin that we're talking about. Okay, you're going to do these these good works, but if you do them apart from faith in the one true God, what have you, what do you really have?
1: Yeah. And those things can also be become an affront, too. Right. Um, uh, They're a source of pride and of, um, yeah, of legal, you know, sort of the Pharisaism, the hypocrisy that um, is is just it's not attractive. It's and it's not good (laughs) for anybody.
0: So this scribe in his response to Jesus sounds a lot like Jesus. He's agreeing with Jesus. He even adds something that we've heard elsewhere from Jesus and Jesus responds. And Mark tells us that Jesus recognizes the wisdom in this answer. Jesus says to the scribe, you are not far from the kingdom of God, which what (laughs) if he agrees with Jesus and he's not far from the kingdom of God? what, What does that mean?
1: Yeah, he's. If you think of that, that use the kingdom. I'm sure that you've covered this with um, a lot of guests before, but it's my turn now. The kingdom of God is the um, right, the active reign and rule of the Father through the Son. So you could say um, he is simply, simply by being close to Jesus, he is near to the kingdom of God. But I think Jesus is saying something more. You are close to entering into the kingdom of God. You are close. Um, son, you're close friend, to actually coming under my gracious reign and rule. You've understood what my kingdom is all about, but um, what's the missing piece? Because there is in that answer of Jesus, there's a a commendation of the man, but there's also a hint like something's missing. You're not quite there. You're close. Now, can you put the last piece in? And that's where Jesus's question, we we move from um, a question about what does the law say? What And those are good questions, right? We, we never want to say God's law is, um, is not a good thing. But the Old Testament scripture itself is not simply, here are the laws. Make sure you follow them all. They're really good for you. <laughs> um, it's a book about Jesus and who he is. And that's what Jesus is going to shift the question towards.
0: So in in this response, you are not far from the kingdom of God. There is a, a bit of a commendation that he's he's thinking rightly, he's believing rightly, he's seeing the right things in the scriptures, but there's a, a key piece that he doesn't have yet that he needs, and and that's what Jesus is going to give him. That's how you're that's how we should understand verses thirty-five through thirty-seven.
1: I think so. This is you're you're right there, buddy. Now stick with me and let me show you what the what the final thing is and the and the thing that is of the the most importance, right? The you can have all the laws down, you know, you can have them all memorized, you can try to live according to them. Think of the rich young man. All these things I've kept from my youth. And Jesus says one thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and come follow me. You're missing out on until you have me, then you don't actually have eternal life. And that's a very similar, I think, as we're talking here, that certainly comes to mind, right? That rich young man, and this, um, you know, smart, good scribe, shall we call him, they're both in the same boat, they're right there. And we don't know, do, do they actually follow Jesus or not?
0: So, and and just again, to to put this in the context of Holy Week, as we said, Jesus has, at at every moment, he's getting a, a question from different groups, from the Pharisees and the Herodians, from the Sadducees, now from this one scribe. He's answered each one. And now... Again, it's it's as if he's back on the offensive, if you want to think of it that way. He's going to bring the question and the teaching directly to not only the scribe, but to everyone who's there listening in the temple. And so he asks a question of his own. In, In verse 35, he asks, how can the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? David himself in the Holy Spirit declared, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord, so how is he his son? That's the, the question, the answer that Jesus gives. we got about eight minutes to talk about it, Pastor Apple.
1: Yeah, this is, how does Jesus read the Old Testament, right? That's kind of the bigger, um, if the, that's the universal thing. The particular passage is from Psalm 110, the Lord said to my Lord, and Jesus is, um, you know, it's a, it's a great teaching <laughs> question. How can this be? How can he be his son if he calls him his lord? Seems like those are mutually exclusive, right? Either this is the descendant of David, and he wouldn't call his descendant greater than him, right? He wouldn't refer with that title of respect and um, you know a hint of divinity there that that his son is his lord, and Jesus is saying the way that David he's implying this, right? He doesn't explicitly say it. The implication is the only way that David can call him the Lord said to my Lord is if he is somehow um, in the mystery of the Holy Trinity. He is both the son of God and also equal to the father.
0: So as you said, Jesus does not make it plain in the way that he puts it here. He leaves them with that question. How is David's son and David's Lord? How did these things work together? Just for for the sake of of us today what is the very direct thing that Jesus is saying here about David's son David's lord and ultimately about himself
1: he's saying that he is David's lord right that he and he is he's the the paradox is that Both of these things are true. He is descended from David according to the flesh, right? Mary and Joseph, I think, are both um, from the lineage of David, from Judah, um, but he also comes from above. And so um, he has no human father, um, but the Holy Spirit overshadows Mary and the eternal son enters into uh, our flesh and blood.
0: So, as you said, according to the the mystery of the Holy Trinity, the mystery of the incarnation of the Son of God, this is true. Now, you also said a larger issue here is how Jesus reads the Old Testament, and then by way of implication, how we as Christians should read the Old Testament. So, how is Jesus reading the Old Testament?
1: Well, he's reading. Think of this particular instance, and if we have time, we can do um, some broader things, Tim. But in Psalm 110, you have. The Lord, God the Father, addressing David's Lord, God the Son. So you have a, a kind of inter-Trinitarian thing going on. And what's happening in Psalm 110 is that the Father is promising the Son that he is going to raise him up to this um, to this kingdom, to this throne, and put his enemies under his feet. Okay? So in the Psalms, you don't just have, when Jesus reads the Psalms, um, maybe here's the best, the most direct way I can answer it. He doesn't read them as if they were about somebody else. He reads them as if they were describing what's going to happen in his own life and ministry. The Psalms are about Jesus. Um, And that depending on the Psalm, you've got to sort of Um, be able to read them a little bit different. Sometimes it's the voice of Jesus himself praying to the Father in the Psalms. Um, But in this case, it's a very um, prophetic, almost like a promise Psalm that God the Father promises God the Son, Jesus, um, that he is going to raise him up. Um, You know, you get a hint of the resurrection there and put his enemies under his feet. That's the mission of the church now.
0: Hmm. Yeah. Jesus reads the Psalms as if they're about him. He ultimately reads all of the Old Testament as if it's about him. One, another example that comes to my mind, it's one of the Old Testament readings for the season of Lent the three-year lectionary this year. And it, it pairs with John chapter three, where Jesus reads Numbers chapter 21, the account of the serpents in the wilderness and the bronze snake that's lifted up on the pole. Jesus reads that as if it's about him. It's a, a picture of his own crucifixion. So, I mean, you can, you can do this with the whole old Testament. You, yeah. you read it as if it's about Jesus. And I would say, because it is <laughs> about Jesus. Yeah,
1: no, that's, that's an important point to make. Um, if when we're talking here, if it sounds like we're saying, well, this is one way you can read the old Testament and it's valid and there's other ways and they're valid too. Um, Jesus knows the right way to read sure. the old Testament, right? So when we're saying he's reading it, he's reading it the way that it's supposed to be read, the way it's supposed to be understood as a book about Christ. Um, The the prophets, to what extent they understood or didn't understand. I think there's a great passage in first Peter chapter one that talks about the prophets trying to discern what time and what person they themselves were talking about. Well, when Jesus comes, all those question marks get, you know, answered and, you know, um, you can think of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch in um, in Acts chapter eight, talking about who is Isaiah talking about with this suffering servant? And Philip says he's talking about Jesus, right? Um, that's that is what the Old Testament was always about, and with the with the arrival of Jesus, now we say, "Aha! Here it is. This is what it was always about: um, Jesus and His Church. These things are not." Um, you know, extra appendices to the Old Testament, they were essential and they were the core of it all along.
0: Yeah, I mean, and, and again, exactly how, you know, Isaiah would have <laughs> confessed it and, and what he had in his mind, I, I don't know for sure, but I, Isaiah believed in Jesus ahead of time. And and Abraham too. I mean, you get in, in John's gospel, John chapter 8, Jesus says, Abraham saw my day and he was glad about it. I think it's in, in John chapter 12 where where he talks about, Isaiah is it John who says it? Let's see. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, does I mean Isaiah saw it too. So these these yeah. Old Testament prophets they were looking forward, and again they, they saw it maybe to, we could apply Paul's words in, in 1 First Corinthians thirteen. They saw through the mirror darkly. You know they they weren't seeing it in in clearness, but they believed it. They looked forward to it. They saw it in faith, and and I think and we're running out of time. Just so that let's try to tie this together. This is the key that this scribe needs is that all this understanding that he's got about the Old Testament and loving the Lord as God and loving his neighbor as himself, it's all tied up in the fact that Jesus is the Christ, son of David, son of God here to save the world. Pastor Apple wrap it up with just about a minute left.
1: Yeah. Think about how these two fit together. Love the Lord, your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Who is the Lord? He's it's me. I'm right in front of you. And, um, to love the Lord, like we had talked about before, um, really comes down to faith and to trust in him. That's the beginning of love, and and it's from faith that obedience proceeds, that all the actions of love um, follow on faith. So these two things fit so perfectly together. How we understand the Old Testament, the law of God as being about love, and the the, um, promises about about the christ about the messiah always leading up to jesus Um, this is what scripture is all about this is how we should read and understand the bible too we should want to know what is the what are the commands for us to do and who is god Um, and once you see that you see in jesus the revelation of the gospel there too
0: Pastor David Appold is the pastor at St. Paul's Lutheran Church in Paducah, Kentucky, helping us this morning with Mark chapter 12, verses 28 through 37. Pastor Appold, thanks for being our guest today. My pleasure. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. If you have any questions about Mark chapter 12 or any of the gospel according to St. Mark, send an email to KFUO at KFUO.org. We love to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.